Hey everyone, I'm Jesse Sparks, host of the new podcast, The One Recipe, from the team behind The Splendid Table. This pod is all about that one recipe that you lean on. The one you share with friends, the one you make when you need a little love, and the one you know will work every single time. Every week, I talk with chefs and gifted cooks from all over the world about their one and the story behind it. We're here to help you build your kitchen library one dish at a time. Follow The One Recipe wherever you get your podcasts. The world is a dumpster fire. I'm Amy. And I'm Grace. We're comedy writers in Los Angeles. And we want to help. As a reflex to the fucking madness on the news, we're keeping it positive, uplifting, but opinionated. We talk about cultural moments we love. Talk to people we adore. Crushes we have. And self-care we stand. During these trying times, we all need a show that focuses on joy. This is The Antidote. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to The Antidote. We missed oh you God. so much. We missed you. It's been like a month. A I month know. plus. Like, <sighs> what is life without this podcast? I know. What were y'all even doing? How did you even go on? Yeah, like, what happened? <laughs> like, what happened while we were gone? Like, you know, send us a little message or something. We want to know what was going well, on. Well, actually, we did get a message from someone. Did you see Ooh, that? we did. Uh, an answer to a listener who goes by at Righteous Warrior, and that's spelled Ooh. W-R-I-T-E-O-U-S underscore warrior. That's right there, a writer. Um, they said... Felt my anxiety creep up a little this week, so I started working out on my elliptical again. I always feel better after that. And I'm just going to go ahead and add, hashtag, that's my antidote. And I love <laughs> that they shared this. Oh, yeah. I I used to stand that elliptical machine. That used to be like my main machine. Me too. When I had the strength, and right now I don't even have the strength anymore. Uh, I used to be on that puppy for 45 minutes to an hour. So I am so happy that your elliptical machine brought you uh, peace and joy this week, Righteous Warrior. I also haven't seen a lot of you in the last month. So like, what have you, what have you been up to, my friend? Oh, so much. Just, you know, catching up on some projects and, um, you know, you know, I'm, I'm going to do my saunas. You know, I still love my saunas. It's going on my hikes. Um, you know, just just having a, a little relaxing little hiatus moment. Um, but yeah, I missed it. I was just like, when are we recording? Is it this week? Oh, no, it's not this week. Is, is it next week? Oh, no, it's not next week. Oh, it's like four weeks away. OK, I'll just chill. <laughs> <laughs> what have you been up to? Um, you know, not a not, not a lot of sleeping. Your girl went outside and outside kept her up late. <laughs> mm-hmm. So yeah, I've been celebrating the end of a rap shit. I loved watching um that show and celebrating the, its first season conclusion. I also, you know, took a couple weekend trips. Um yes. and yeah. And then same like you, like the day-to-day antidotes like Pilates and making sure to um, say my affirmations and things like that. I've been making sure to soak that time up. And for anyone who missed it on our socials, Grace and I also posted some videos of our antidotes that we took during the hiatus. Well, if you love art and words and books and things, then you're going to love our guest who's coming up later in the episode, author Ijoma Oluo. Um, Yes, we had such a lovely conversation with her, so we can't wait for you to hear it in a few minutes. Woohoo! Okay, so uh, we wouldn't need the antidote if we didn't have something to get an antidote from. Starting now up top with our bummer news of the week. 
First up, guys, <laughs> this is hilarious to me. And like, if this rumor is true, um, it's, it's, I don't know. We just got to investigate. But we heard a rumor. <laughs> we heard a rumor that Jennifer Lopez um, in the past didn't want Virgo dancers on one of her tours back in the day. Heather Morris, mm. a former actress on Glee and former Beyonce backup dancer, spilled the tea on a podcast recently. And she said that after a long day of auditions, JLo entered the room where dancers <laughs> awaited their fate, asked all the Virgos to raise their hands, and then whispered to her assistant before dismissing them. <laughs> I want this rumor to be so true. It's such a weird story. Um, but apparently, the, they, um, Heather Morris is saying that apparently it's because uh, J-Lo's ex, Mark Anthony, was a Virgo. Um, so it was like Virgo energy doesn't agree with her. Um, mm. And I guess it's a bummer because, like, I'm a pretty good dancer. So. <laughs> yeah, you I'm used to dance. You used yeah. to dance dance. <laughs> Maybe that's why I never made it. Maybe it's my Virgo nature that turned yes. people like J-Lo off. <laughs> when the oppression to the Virgo community and the dance community. It's like, it's like, uh, I guess this is a thing. Um, but you know what? <laughs> Who would have thought? Uh, you, you should want a Virgo to be on your dance team. They're going to be very obsessed Thank with you. getting those steps. They're going to hit those yes. eight cart counts hard. Okay. You know what I'm saying? They'll be up late at night practicing in their yes. hotel room. That's like, what I do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I don't know what this Virgo discrimination <laughs> but you know, I, I have to say, honestly, J-Lo, as a Virgo, thank you for releasing me from the stress of your other dancer's imperfection because I wouldn't be able to handle it. <laughs> and honestly, I love that someone is against Virgos because frankly, sometimes I'm against me. <laughs> I can be a lot. So I kind of get it. <laughs> well, I would like to discriminate against fuckboys. Can we do that? Uh, oh, you know, yes. I got really excited when I heard about this fuckboy island thing, but I, I thought that they were just going to put them all on an island so we knew where they were so they wouldn't infect society but no it turns out it's just another reality show to waste our time oh my god yeah i i'm gonna join you in the discrimination against fuck boys not in my dance <laughs> troupe not in my body <laughs> <laughs> but again it's just a rumor hearsay uh we don't know um that that actually yeah, happens yet. exactly it sounds like someone from glee was just hating um but it was so <laughs> funny that i was like we have to talk about this yeah. uh we'll slap a big allegedly on this entire allegedly allegedly. allegedly now this next bit of bummer news is not alleged Okay. Apparently, neighbors in Yorkshire threw a note over a fence after hearing their neighbor having sex with her windows open. The neighbor in question, Amber O'Donnell from Yorkshire, was mortified after receiving a complaint from a neighbor who believes they heard her having noisy sex. She was so mortified that she shared her reaction to the note <laughs> <laughs> on TikTok. <laughs> Wow. The note read, if you're going to have animal sex during the middle of the day, please close your bloody windows, ending with a t <laughs> oh. Apparently, O'Donnell is an OnlyFans model, and in her TikTok video, she says she can never leave the house again from the embarrassment, and the video has been seen over one million times, and I'll tell you what, Amber. Okay, girl. <laughs> you were the only one who saw that note, and now a million people have seen it, so I, I hope your numbers are up. You know, that's what that I'm saying, but it's smart up. marketing, you know what I'm saying? Smart marketing. She's like... Hey, you want to see this OnlyFans? I'm real loud. Give the girl a break. Why don't you have like speakers in your house? Why don't you have headphones? Like, why can't you close your windows? That poor neighbor hasn't had an uh, orgasm in five years and is mad <laughs> because she got to hear somebody else's. I don't know. Because to me, I, it would be different if there was like kids around or something, but there was no mention yeah. of children. So I'm just no. like grown, recognized, grown, you know, like that sex is something that happens and that people do. So, you know. 
stop acting like all prudish or whatever about it. Like, sorry, it's kind of like life, you know. I'm proud of her for getting an afternoon delight. And I'm proud of her for using this as a marketing opportunity for her OnlyFans page. Come on, you know? Amber. I believe in you, sis. <laughs> I don't know if you're a sis, actually. <laughs> I've been yeah. leaving you. British girl. <laughs> anyway, uh, how do you feel after discussing the bummer news, Grace? Well, you know, actually, the ones that we did today were kind of fun. So, yeah, uh, you know, I actually feel pretty OK, but we still go talk about this antidote, right? Exactly. Life's still life. And so let's get into the antidote. So this is a segment where we tell you about the culture we consumed and things we did this week that made us feel better about the bummer news. What was your antidote this week, Grace? Well, I watched a little docu. Mentory. Ooh, smart. My friend is smart. Oh, you know, entertainment plus learning. So mm. I uh, saw this documentary. Uh, you heard it right here. <laughs> that was a great advertisement for a documentary. Plus learning. Um, so uh, I watched this documentary. It's called uh, Get Smart with Money. Oh, I want to watch it. And that you know, I like money. Uh, it, was, it was so cool. It was like, um, these like I think it's like four different um, money experts talk to like real life people and they mm. like follow them for a year like after they give them sort of like a strategy to address their issues. And so it's oh. very cool. Like they check in with them throughout the year to see mm-hmm. like how um, integrating these strategies into their lives has improved their financial situation. And um, most of them, all of them really uh, it like changed all their lives and it was super cool. So there was uh, the advisors were like Tiffany Alice, who's like also known as the Budgetista. Uh, oh, yeah, uh, I follow P- her. I follow her. Yeah, on yeah. So uh, she was on there. Um, then a guy named Peter Adeni, a.k.a. Mr. Money Mustache. No, I don't like that. I mean, I want to support him, but what? <laughs> uh, he's a guy, he, like, retired at 30. Uh, so he, like, knows oh. about the whole money thing. And this guy mm-hmm. um, named Ross McDonald, uh, a.k.a. Ross Mac. Why do they all have nicknames? Is that part of getting a lot of money, is having a nickname? Maybe. Ooh, okay, let, maybe. we'll come up with some nicknames for each other. And so it was really inspiring, and I got, like, a lot of little tips about money. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I like nice things. So it like kind of dragged me a little bit. I was just like, oh, yeah. Uh, and the thing that dragged me the most is when the budgetista was just like, you need to separate your spending into needs and loves on one side and wants and likes on the other side. And then I realized oh, I wow. buy a lot of things that I want or that I like. But she actually said, The great thing about focusing on your needs and loves is that you use your money more intentionally to make your life better rather than wasting money on just things that you want or like. And the framing of that was so useful to me because I was just like, oh, yeah, like I bought like a bunch of dumb shit recently that I just liked or wanted. But if I were to use that money and like seeing stuff of like buying wants and like it's just like about getting rid of waste in your life. It's not about yeah. depriving yourself of anything. It's about refunneling that money into things that you really love or that you really need. So mm-hmm. I was just like, oh my God, that just that one little tidbit was so 
interesting. And um, I went out with friends afterwards and I told them about it. And they're like, oh, wow. And I was just like, yeah, we as friends need to be talking more about money. Like, Mm -hmm. it's always such a quote unquote private topic. But I think it's really important to talk um, about money and like be more conscious, you know, bringing it back to like the true purpose of money, which is to support your what you want in your life. So um, so that was definitely um, my antidote because I was just like, oh, I, I feel that. good. I feel like I have a better perspective on money just from watching that one little, I think it was just like 90 minute um, documentary. So that was uh, my antidote. Uh, what was yours, Amy? So mine was a little simple antidote. Um, and it sounds kind of like, maybe like dull. It ties to yours because okay. sometimes while you watch Netflix, you eat yeah. a little sneak. And my antidote this week is Trader Joe's Vanilla Overnight Oats. Guys, this is not an ad. It's literally (laughs) the fact that in the mornings, I I make myself breakfast in the morning. Mm -hmm. I like the the ritual of making myself breakfast. Um, But the last time I went to TJ's, I was like picking up like dairy stuff. And I saw these overnight oats and I was like, oh, I don't make myself oatmeal very often because it takes Mm -hmm. a long time. Mm. And I actually like oatmeal. I'm like a grandma. I, I like old lady shit. And so <laughs> I like great. oatmeal. And I was like, oh, I never make it for myself these days because I'm just so like work, work. I, you know, I'm just like in this period of being very, very work centric. And um, I haven't been able to enjoy like the practice of just making myself a bowl of oatmeal. And I was like, mm. I'm going to buy these overnight oats. And they have vanilla overnight oats and then also almond butter chia overnight oats. One has a little blue lid. One has a like brownish red lid. Um, And I bought one of each. And I was like, whenever I'm getting that little hankering for my grandma breakfast, I'll eat these. (laughs) And it literally happened where I was like, I just want to have a warm bowl of oatmeal and I don't have the time. Because there's something that I will say... There's something about oatmeal that is comforting to me because that's what mm-hmm. my dad used to make for us when we were kids. Um, whenever my mom, my mom would do like eggs and biscuits and pancakes and waffles and all these things. Mm-hmm. And my dad is not as much of a quote unquote chef as my mm-hmm. mom. So the the breakfast he always made for us when we were kids was oatmeal. And I always hated Aww. it. When I was a kid, I was like, oatmeal again, dad. And it's like, can you do grits? <laughs> Come on. And I was always annoyed. But now as I've grown up, I find oatmeal is very comforting because it reminds me of my childhood and it reminds me of my dad taking care of us. But it's also emotionally like satisfying to me because it makes me remember like, oh, this is one of the first meals that I remember my dad consistently making as a kid um, for for me as a kid and my brothers as a kid. So um, yeah, I climbed into this vanilla overnight oats bowl and it made me so happy. (laughs) And I just like the first bite, I was like, "Mm." (laughs) hmm. So may I ask, do, are you a person that, because I also love oatmeal, but I also love oh, like nice. a little add-in uh, yes. to my oatmeal. Do you um, ever add anything to your overnight oats or you just eat them like straight up no chaser? What I actually do is I make them with almond milk and I chop up ginger, like <gasps> candy ginger. I chop candy ginger. And so I, if I'm making it in the microwave, I'll do like a minute and a half and then I chop up the ginger and put it in and then I do another uh, two minutes and then stir it all up and then the whole bowl tastes like ginger. Oh my God, I'm going to try that one. I love oatmeal to just be so full of shit that (laughs) I can barely barely taste the oatmeal. But yeah, I have to check out the vanilla overnight notes. Although that almond butter one sounds like more my speed. It's good too. 
I like them both. Um, I can't decide which is my favorite because I always eat them so far apart that I'm like, this is the one. <laughs> but so I always, um, well, I, I don't usually buy them. It's a more recent thing, but it truly was kind of like an antidote moment. But um, I, I bought one of both. So I'll report back when I eat the okay, only one. Back. Yeah, I feel like like you could definitely do uh, me and Amy's antidotes this week, uh, listeners, because you could watch this documentary on money, get your money right, get, your, get okay. some tips, you know, and then you could yep. do it while uh, snacking on some delicious overnight oats. <laughs> yeah, how cute. Ooh, how All cute. this talk made me hungry. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back to The Antidote. We have a very special guest today. Who is it, Amy? Ooh, girl. You know my chest gets real puffed up when I get to introduce Anisha sister. They don't carry less. No, we don't. And this queen hails from my problematic fave home state. That's right. She's a North Texas yell. She is a writer, speaker, and internet yeller. She is the author of the number one New York Times bestseller, So You Want to Talk About Race, and most recently, mm-hmm. Mediocre, The Dangerous Legacy of White Male America. I bet she learned a little bit about that in Texas. She has twice been named to the Route 100, and in 2020, she received the Harvard Humanist of the Year Award. Her work on race has been featured in The Guardian, The New York Times, the Washington Post, and she once survived an interview with Rachel Dolezal. Please welcome another <laughs> Black woman just trying to heal America, Ijoma Oluo. Thanks for having me. I'm excited about this conversation. Thank you for being here. I mean, she is very impressive, <laughs> um, but we're not here to talk about your many, many, many accomplishments, Mm-mm. Ijoma. We are here to get deep. Yeah, let's check in first. How are you feeling today? Like, for real, not small talk. Is there anything weighing on you or bringing you oh, up? You know, I don't know. You know, I just <laughs> I just ordered a, um, like, therapy lamp. Ooh, tell me Ooh. about that. What's that? I'm born in Texas. We live in mm-hmm. Seattle, and there's no sun at all. Mm-hmm. You know, like, we had, like, three days. It looked like it was turning into spring. I put all my winter clothes away, and now it's been, like, 45 degrees every no. day in gray. Oh, my goodness. And it's sad and awful, <laughs> and I'm, yeah. like having to change my foundation color every month, you know? So I finally went and bought, like, <laughs> one of those, like, therapy lamps that makes it, f- you feel like you have feel like sun. It's sun. It's, yeah, it's supposed to, like, help you get through your day a little better because I can't afford a vacation every other week. And, I know. You know, I can't get anything done. Yeah, seasonal but, uh, d- yeah. affective disorder. I think that's what it's called, like, when you um, suffer because of lack of light. Yeah, that's, that's yes, real. And, and here in Seattle, uh, there there's a lot of that. So yeah, today I just finally was like, okay, you know, obviously I need to, I need to be able to function if I'm going to keep living here. But otherwise, you know, I'm doing okay. It's been a weird, yeah, I would say these last couple of days looking at the news, mm-hmm. it's a weird time to be a black woman yeah. Yeah. existing on social media yeah. in any sense. And mm-hmm. so that's been a little overwhelming, Yeah. Um, but I got it off my chest Yeah. and I got to like talk about it a bit. And now I'm just, you know, trying to get back to life. Well, we're here to help raise your vibration. We we want you to feel good. This show is called The Antidote because life is hard and we all need different antidotes to deal with the bullshit. So what's your antidote this week? What's something non-work related that's bringing you joy um, this week or this month or this year? Um. Oh, I did my nails and Ooh, I think they were really... Oh my God. Uh, wait, describe so them. Describe them for our listeners. Yeah. So basically I, uh, I like to play with nail art mm-hmm. and I had some and I'd 
And it's like white lines, basically, and you just randomly kind of scribble with white, mm-hmm. and then you fill in the little sections that the scribbles make with different colors. So I've got mm. like some of my favorites, bright yellow, deep pink, teal blue, mm. and I don't know, it just feels like bright and sunny. That was a fun project to kind of toss myself into. You did it um, yourself? So that, that's been fun. Wow. Yes, yes. Yes, I spend a lot of time on these little tiny creative projects. It's a lot of fun. And then we saw Ailey this weekend. What's Ailey? Ailey, Alvin, uh, Ailey, the, the Alvin Ailey, Ailey dancer. Oh yeah. my, I have always wanted to see them. I, I saw them in college once, but I've always wanted to see them again, <laughs> I guess is the end of that sentence. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> It was beautiful. And we haven't done things in so long because of the pandemic. And Mm. not only was it wonderful to do this beautiful thing, but also because it's Seattle, there was an overrepresentation of Black Seattle, you know, at this event coming through. And so we got to see people we haven't seen in over two years. And it was just such a lovely thing to see these beautiful you know, black dancers mm-hmm. and the celebration of a black body mm-hmm. yes. and a black audience coming together for the first time in a long time. And we we're all dressed up. And yeah, it was that was a lot of fun. Oh my That's gosh. beautiful. I mean, I've seen the Alvin Ailey dancers in New York a few times. Yeah. And uh, I used to live in New York. And oh, my goodness, the shapes that they can make with their bodies. Yes. Like I like took a picture um, of theirs and I got it put on canvas. And it's in my living room as mm. part of my my inspiration wall of like, you know, happy people that I have on my wall that watch over me. But um, they are so amazing. It's yeah. like you take a picture. It's like uh, like almost every move is a picture. Yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. And and the way they do the lighting and everything, it's just I love it too because you know if you go see the Nutcracker or something mm-hmm. like that, it's like the stage and the set. But when you see the Ailey dancers, mm-hmm. it's the dancers and this beautiful lighting that really yes. highlights all of the, the moves skin, and expressions yeah. that they're making with the their muscles. movement. And just that like, yeah, a little tiny movement and you see all these like ripples as mm-hmm. their muscles move and it's just beautiful. And, you know, the music and yeah. So yeah, that was lovely. That was a really, you know, fun weekend. I saw there was a bus ad that drove by and it was like, Ailey. And I was like, oh no. And they like pulled over and bought tickets <laughs> on my phone because I, I just needed, I needed like that hit of a uh, black community that's that can mm-hmm. be really hard to find out here. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm so curious about that living in Seattle. One of one of our friends is is from Seattle and he's black and he definitely was like, yeah, like I have a weird like uh you know connection to race <laughs> and talking about race, <laughs> which I feel like must have influenced some of your writing, like getting into um the things that you write about. Absolutely. I think growing up in a place where it's considered rude Mm. to talk about anything that might make white people uncomfortable, Mm. um, you learn to understand what isn't said. So this is not a place where Mm -hmm. someone's going to come up to you and say something blatantly racist. They're going to smile at you and treat you so differently. And you really have to figure out what's going on. And I don't know if I'd be the writer I am if I grew up in a place that actually... Um, just handed the racism to me. (laughs) Like, this is what it is. Because I really did have to investigate and dive deep to to protect my sanity, you know, Mm -hmm. in a space that will tell you it loves you and loves everyone and voted for Obama. Mm -hmm. And it certainly doesn't act that way. And you got to figure out, you know, how this how this works for your own protection and just to be able to function in the world. So yeah, it's definitely a space that can be really damaging. Mm -hmm. You know, I've lived here since Mm -hmm. I was 
uh, two, three years old. Oh, wow. And, and when okay. I when I see other people who live here and grew up here, if you grew up in an area, you know, we had a couple red line neighborhoods. Right. Mm-hmm. Like my partner was lucky enough to be born and raised in one of those neighborhoods wow. where he was surrounded by black people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's a really unique experience. Yeah. Um, if you didn't grow up in that, you either made a lot of compromises and mm-hmm. you become an adult who doesn't know who you are mm-hmm. and you, you carry a lot of pain that you shove down or you become someone who got used to making a lot of people uncomfortable yeah. and saying whatever. And that's kind of me. Yeah. That's kind of who I was, where yeah. I was like, okay, well, you know, uh, this whole conforming thing isn't going to work. Yeah. Um, might as well go out swinging. And, and that's kind of how I've been living my life for, you know, quite a while now. Right. Well, well that, I mean, I can relate to I grew up going to Catholic school in Michigan, and yeah, it was the same sort of thing. I I shrunk myself for a long time until I got to the point where I'm just like, okay, well, done shrinking. So you're going to get these words, and you're going to get this this, uh, me or whatever. And if it makes you uncomfortable, it makes you uncomfortable. Um, It became a little bit, for me, like a conscious effort, because I... I had never, mm-hmm. obviously, growing up, you never hear the term respectability politics or anything like that. And I, mm-hmm. I'm Nigerian, and like my family was always like, stand up, stand up straight, like you know, speak correct, like enunciate, all these things. And but then I realized, like, one does not reject the other. Like you can be whoever yeah. you are. And I almost made it a choice as I got older. Mm. I was like. Oh, yeah, I can be the Stanford girl who curses like a sailor and says nigga and, like, doesn't censor herself in different spaces. And you're just going to have to take all of me because I contain multitudes of blackness. Like, it just became Mm -hmm. so important to me to fully be myself. I didn't realize I was holding back until, like, I entered more spaces where there were more black people. And I was like, oh, wait. (laughs) I want to feel real. I want to feel fully like myself all the time. Yeah, I think, like, a lot of our survival depends Mm -hmm. day to day when we can't escape. You know, like, like, Mm -hmm. like therapists, psychiatrists will say that, you know, a lot of how you deal with stress depends on how much agency you've had Mm -hmm. in your formative years. So, like, if you couldn't escape a situation, then you will detach. Yeah, yeah. And I think that a lot of us, a lot of Black people, and especially Black women, have to do that because we are not given a lot of agency in the world, especially as we're younger. Mm -hmm. And so we detach, but it's still there. And I think that once you touch that, once you get into that, you can't forget no. it. It's, it's like this flood that comes yeah. out, and yeah, it's it, you, <laughs> and and that's it. That's there's no going back once yeah. that happens, you know. And I just remember thinking that, like, oh, I'm either going to get fired from every job I have from here on out, saying something, <laughs> or I'm going to have to like find my own way. Yeah. And you know, I lost almost every friend I had, mm. almost mm. every bit of community I had. And it was it was almost like, you know, cleansing with fire. And at the end, you know, I'm I am a more whole person, but I couldn't for a second shrink back. Like mm-hmm. I don't I don't even know how. Yeah. It, it, it would be absolutely impossible. Sounds like a fair trade to me, as Drake would say. Um I mean, <laughs> well, here's the thing. <laughs> You've had a lot of conversations with white people about mm-hmm. their whiteness and you know, white people about there trying to be blackness, i.e. Rachel Dolezal. How do you keep on doing that? Like, where do you find the patience to keep having these conversations? You know, I think for me, I'm every time I'm looking for the potential benefit before I do it. Gotcha. So I say no mm-hmm. a lot. Okay. Yeah. That's a healthy. lot. You know, That's like healthy. once I, when I interviewed Rachel Dolezal, which by the way, I only did 
because probably my favorite editor on the planet, Charles Mudede, mm, mm-hmm. um, asked me to. And if it hadn't been a black man that I trusted and had worked with, mm-hmm. pushing me and telling me that he had a vision for this, that I, he thought I could really do this, I said no the first time. Like okay. he called, he left me a voicemail. And I remember I was doing an event and it was right after Rachel Dolezal had changed her name mm. to Kechi, oh which child. is my sister's yeah. name, by the way. <laughs> yes, I remember reading that and being like, oh man, and the I was like, this bitch, I can't, I can't with her. Yeah. And I just went, you know, I'm doing this and then I get a missed call from Charles and I looked at it and I said, oh, this asshole, he's going to try and get me to do something <laughs> about Rachel Dolezal. I just know it. And so I avoided him. I didn't call yeah. him back. And he called me. He's like, no, hear me out. Hear me out. Hear me out. No, Ijoma. It's going to be amazing. Is this like Zimbabwean <laughs> accent? And this plan. And um, after I did that interview, which was draining, mm. and you know, sitting in a, in someone's house who hates you, Gosh. and mm. and views you as a threat to this whole scam they've yep. built, you know, yeah. uh, for like eight hours. Eight hours. Not, wow. Was, I was there all day. Tired. I was so tired. Mm. And after that came out and it was, you know, it, it made the mark that it made, which mm-hmm. was bigger than I could have ever imagined. Suddenly, every single problematic white person, people were like, you should have each other. I said, no, no, come on, yeah. y'all. Like, you have to love me. Yeah. And so for me, mm-hmm. I just look at it and say, like, do I actually benefit? Do I benefit from this? Mm-hmm. Do other black women benefit from this? And that's really, you know, unless it's a, someone in my life that I personally love. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, the, that's kind of the criteria I'm looking at in these conversations. I, I am not trying to better white people in any way, shape, or form. Um, I don't have time. Nope. There's too many, There's too of, many them. of them. There's too many of them. You know, <laughs> it's just, I'm outnumbered. Also, you got to <laughs> say, like, what, what did um, uh, uh, Yama used to say? Save yourself, sis. Like, you got to, <laughs> you also have to save yourself. Like, if you were to stew in that all the time, and I love that you say no all the time because... It, it, it that's a way that you protect yourself from downloading everyone's feelings or having to answer yeah. the same questions over and over again because we don't have any education about race in this country, you know? Mm-hmm. I always try to remember that it's dangerous to carry around pessimism mm. of what white people are capable of. Yeah. It's, wow. it's fine to be a realist of what they wow. do. Wow. But what they're capable of, that pessimism is something that whiteness leans into. Yeah. This thought like, oh, if you were direct with me, I'll die. I'll fall apart. I can't handle it. I can't learn. Mm-hmm. Give me time. Mm-hmm. And and here we are thrown in the deep end of racism from, from the womb. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And figuring it out and building a language for to. it while fighting it. Yeah. yeah. And so, you know, I don't think it serves anyone to think like, oh, me having the seventh conversation with this one white person is going to do anything. All it does is reaffirm the thought that they need to be handheld through the entire process and they yeah. don't. Mm-hmm. And and also like, I am worth more than that. They are not mm. worth more than me. Yeah. They're not mm. worth that level of my time. And if mm. I have to spend more time in whiteness than I spend in community, something's really wrong. Oh my mm-hmm. gosh. That is... Yes. <laughs> that I, 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 so much is coming in my head right now. Just even that if I have to spend more time in whiteness than I do in community, something is really wrong. Publishing is overwhelmingly white. And my right. first book, I was the only Black person who touched my book until it went out into stores. And wow. and it's frustrating because you're fighting and battling. But if I had to spend all day, <laughs> if I was done. You're like, at least it's just a phone call <laughs> with an editor or two. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But all day. <laughs> 
Well, I am curious. Um, like, you come from a family of amazing artists, like not only your brother, Amafale, his wife, Lindy West, who's also a writer and who we also hope to have on the podcast someday. Um, and I'm curious, are you able to lean on each other through the creative process? Or does it feel like, are you more of a writer who's like, no, I'd like to just sort my shit out? over here? Because I lean on Grace. So I'm yeah. curious about <laughs> and I lean on your circle, yeah. even though writing can be an isolated process, who you lean on. Yeah. When I first started, I absolutely did. You know, Lindy had been writing much longer than me. You mm. know, she she went that traditional path through, you know, English degrees yeah. and, you know, internships mm. and things that I, like, as a poor Black single mom, young single mom, like, did not have. Mm. And so mm. when I first started writing, I was almost 30 and didn't know what a pitch was. I remember, like, all mm. embarrassed, like, what's a pitch? I don't know. What does this mean? <laughs> I, I keep hearing it. I, I assume it means I'm tossing something at somebody. <laughs> I don't know. I keep saying I'm going to do it. But <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, I just need like, to know Like, do I need a glove? To... Do I need a special exactly. glove? <laughs> <laughs> what part of this thing that I throw gets money thrown back at me? That's the thing I need to understand. And so, like, in the beginning, you know, I was so scared, um, Writing was really hard. I remember I had a full panic attack the first time I ever published anything. Yeah. And I did have my brother read it, my sister-in-law read it multiple times to tell me. Because, you know, Black women are told time and time again, uh, don't make things about you. Mm. Don't mm. take up this yep. space. It's selfish. Yep. Mm. If you're writing anything that's not in service of others, yeah. then you are being selfish. Mm. And it was a really personal piece, my very first piece. Mm -hmm. And I literally was bawling. It's not coming out of my nose. Like, I can't do this. Yeah. And then I, they had to tell me multiple times it was good. And so navigating early on, like, my sister-in-law absolutely helped me a lot. And there were a lot of other, like, women writers in particular mm -hmm. who gave me advice, who read pieces, who kind of just pumped mm -hmm. up my confidence. And then, you know, now I, I would say I don't really you know, occasionally we'll talk shop, like Thanksgiving. People are sure. like, I want to go to Thanksgiving at your house. <laughs> Look, all we do is complain about like our, you know, our publishing industry and <laughs> complain about trolls on the internet. It's so awful. It's so depressing. Like you would think we're the most miserable people on earth because we like store it up. Um, <laughs> but now, you know, I do actually like, you know, my, my partner is a musician mm -hmm. and a writer mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. a DJ. And so I talk with him a lot. That's awesome. Like we, you know, as a, having a black man who, um, you know, another black person in the house who is in the creative field and public spaces, we, you know, he's the first person to read in almost everything I write. Cool. Mm -hmm. And then I have other writers really across the country because Seattle doesn't have a lot of people mm -hmm. in it to lean on who, you know, when we have a crisis and it's always weird stuff, you know, like when I got swatted mm. um, and my mental health was really struggling you know, it was Black writers who were mm -hmm. really, like, reminding me to eat, reminding me to take care of myself. Mm -hmm. And then when they would get attacked, when they got swatted, you know, like mm -hmm. like when Damon Young got right. swatted, that was yeah. a phone call we had, you know. Mm -hmm. He was like, hey, uh, <laughs> the weird club I'm in now with Long you. Long time listener. Uh, can, we, can we talk about it? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I, I'm blessed to have community throughout the country that I work really hard to try to maintain mm -hmm. And um, I, and I'm super blessed to have a partner who gets it. My last book, because last book was hard. You know, mm -hmm. mediocre was I in the middle of this pandemic. You mm -hmm. know, in the middle of these uprisings. Yeah. I'm writing about the history of like the murder and torture of Black people yeah. mm -hmm. by white supremacy. 
And I was falling apart. And I just remember as I had these big deadlines and usually, you know, you, you like stop showering. You just like, right, right, yeah. right. And my partner stayed up with me for like three days straight, just Googling anything I needed him to Google, mm-hmm. looking oh it up God. and just bringing me food, keeping the kids out of my way. And he kept looking at me, we're doing this. We can do this. We can do this. And did not nap until the moment I turned that draft in. And then just like that, you know, the first book I wrote all by myself and I remember how awful that was. Yeah. And the second book, like having someone in there, like I can't, so like I, do, I can go on about like Does he like, do house calls? Like, I mean, because means. I could use a hand. I know. Like, so, <laughs> do he have a brother? Yeah. Okay. I mean, like, you want to come to LA? LA's sunny. I'm just I, saying. I need, I need some of that in my life and I'm in the house There's all the time. It's sunny here. It's like too much sunny. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, you know, That's I'm incredible. still single, you know, out here trying to find a King that can support me too. <laughs> exactly. Sit um, up by me <laughs> while I watch Mean Girls for the 15th time and call it research. <laughs> well, I could just pitch dick, dick jokes to him all day and see if he, what he likes. I'm just like, did you like that one? Did that make you feel emasculated? <laughs> good, good, good. That's, that's what I wanted point. you to feel. <laughs> that is amazing. So um, <laughs> we saw that you have an, an entirely separate page dedicated to your makeup does like what about makeup brings you joy oh man it's always brought me joy like I so I love art yeah you know and I was Mm -hmm. always that artistic kid that was like you should be an artist when you grow up you should paint and and it that was never my desire like I loved Mm -hmm. it it was an outlet for me Mm -hmm. and I love makeup since I was like four like you know my mom would give me all her old makeup which is funny because my Mm -hmm. mom is white so I looked a mess (laughs) you know uh, um, You're mess. just like the wrong foundation. The uh, pinkest mess, white face. You know? Oh yeah, like the ash, you know, the dead looking ashy lips. And like that'll do it. Everything. Yeah, and I would smuggle it into school and at recess I would open up an umbrella and c- sit under it so that the pro- playground teachers wouldn't see me and just cover oh my, my face in whatever makeup I had managed to like sneak out of the house. <laughs> so I've just always loved it and the more I write, the more it's turned into, you know, like I've said before, you can't think about white supremacy and not fuck up a winged eyeliner. So you just got to yeah. focus. Mm-hmm. And yeah. <laughs> it's that thing every day where I'm focusing on myself. I'm doing something yeah. colorful and fun. And so I always, that's always been a presence in my social media. And, you know, like, like you were saying, I mean, like before, like people didn't even know, some people come to me like, I didn't even know you were a writer. Mm. I used to do it all the time. And then people wanted more of me and people kept feeling entitled. They were like, you know, Ijoma, I really come here for your brain and not for your makeup. Like, well, well, you don't pay me anything, so I don't really care, you know, (laughs) and it was just annoying. And, and I wanted a space where I could just be as into it as possible. I wanted and mm. flood the page yeah. and not confuse people. And so I just put it in a separate Instagram where, you know, I can just pop it in there. And it's fun because I get to talk just about makeup and um, the ethics of consumerism too, because mm-hmm. I'm never not weird and boring. <laughs> You're like, I'm still um, me. I'm still, yeah. still going to educate <laughs> you assholes. <laughs> just yes. going to look real pretty doing it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but also, like, I will say during the pandemic, your photo, fo- like, because during the pandemic, like, we all, like, became mega slobs. I mean, the pandemic's still going, let's be honest, okay? People still dying, okay? Like, we know Ooh, this. The, it's the not over. <laughs> COVID is here forever. Mm-hmm. But during the height the of it, during yeah. lockdown, 
like I just became a full slob. Like there was a moment I quit shaving my legs because I was like, what's the point? And then one day I went outside and the wind blew and I felt it go through the hair on my legs. And I was like, oh, I'm going to shave my legs. This is feminism choosing this is feminism. So, but your posts, like, I, it like reminded me I could be pretty for me, like seeing your face and that, like there was one where you had this copper lipstick on and like, and I was just like, oh, wow, she's in her house being beautiful because she enjoys it. And I was mm-hmm. like, I can do that. So much of why I was so excited to chat with you is because of the joy you brought me during the darkness of the pandemic. And um, yeah, like literally makeup is in its own way. It is an antidote. It is like a thing that you can do just for you. It's like making your house beautiful. It's like, you know, uh, painting your toe, painting your nails. These are things that you can just do for you. And I love that you have a separate Instagram devoted to it because you're like, it's for me. If y'all tune in, that's cool. It is. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's funny because the responses I get, you know, at first it was like, I love this thing. I'm proud of this look. I want people to see this cool thing I made. That was it. But people come up to me at events crying about what it means to them. (sighs) I've had people say, you know, I went through cancer and lost my hair and didn't think I could ever feel beautiful. And yet I watch how you just wear whatever makes you feel good. And you're always trying something I would have never imagined trying. Ijoma, wow. I feel so much better now that we've talked to you. Like, <laughs> yes, been great. The, like shit still sucks, but it sucks a little less. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this was lovely. Y'all, this little dose of like Black femme conversation at night. Yeah. Before I have to go into a board meeting is wonderful. <laughs> Thank you. I'm going to go in. So much more energized and calm. I love that. This was lovely. Thank you. Do you have anything coming up that you want to tell us about? Anything you'd like to plug? It could even be something you just love, not something you created. Uh, you know, I mean, I would say right now, I am I am still really excited about my newsletter that I've been doing, my Substack, just because when you're writing books, a lot of times you stop writing articles. Mm. Like, I don't have the bandwidth to take yeah. on those assignments. So now I have every week a chance to, like, actually comment on things mm-hmm. in a way that's more thought out than Facebook or Twitter, yeah. mm-hmm. but less formal than an article. And so if people want to check it out or, you know, or used to follow me back in the day when they used to click on these articles I wrote, that's the space where all of my hot takes, personal stories, weird, random complaints, everything is Ijoma Oluo. I figure you learn that name. You shouldn't have to learn another. Uh, So Instagram and Twitter and Facebook, that's where you'll find me under Ijoma Oluo. Awesome. Yes. And buy her books, y'all. Please. Buy them books. They're amazing. Bye. Bye. <laughs> oh my God. I love talking to her. Oh. It kind of felt like her heart touched my heart. Is that weird to say? <laughs> no, but I get it, bitch. That was so amazing. I'm going to go subscribe to that Substack. Okay, now we're going to do our creative tap in, in which we tap, tap, tap in Ow. to our creativity. Okay. You can't use up creativity the more you use the more you have. Mm. And that is by Maya Angelou. I'll say it one more time. You can't use up creativity. The more you use, the more you have. Maya Angelou. Hey, Maya Angelou, you said that shit. I, first of all, her she be she be a real good quotress. Like she she be <laughs> stacking them quotes. Like Yeah, I mean, poetess, yeah, activists, quotress. You know, just, <laughs> 
Yes, quotress. Yeah. yeah, a queen all I, around R.I.P. Yeah, I love that quote. And I'm so glad she left us with so much gold on this wretched earth. I'm glad that we have um, people like her to turn to, <laughs> to remember that creativity is limitless. I love this quote because it makes me mm-hmm. think of the fact that like when... When I'm not writing even, and I don't want to say it like in a procrastinating way, because I sometimes use it to procrastinate, <laughs> but even if I'm not writing, if I'm doing something creative, I'm still kind of feeding my writing. So like, mm-hmm. as a kid, I actually was artistic in a lot of other ways. I used to dance. I played the flute. I did theater. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did spoken word ugh, for a moment. Ugh. No offense to spoken word <laughs> artists, but like... You know, it's a lot. When I was younger, I used to do a lot of artistic shit and it mm-hmm. led me to writing. And there was a while when I first got into writing that it was kind of the only creative thing I did. And mm-hmm. I it became like, I used to come up with all these stories, but then when I was only writing, I literally couldn't come up with anything. And I realized yeah. I had to tap back into other forms of creativity to keep the channels open, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that's what the quote makes me think of is just like, the more you invest in your creativity, the more it it invests in you, the more abundance of it you have. What about you? What does it make you think of? I, it makes me think of, like, there used to be a time where I used to think I was going to run out of ideas. Mm. I was just like, what if I just have one script in me? Oh, what damn. if I just have one? You know what I'm saying? Biggest like, fear of my this life. Was, <laughs> this is like, no, that I mean, that one was a wonder. very real, real fear. Yeah. Exactly. I was just like, because, you know, you see it happen all the time. Yeah. You know, um, First somebody film, just does film. one one film or one, one um, show or one book mm-hmm. or, or, you know. It's just, it was something that I really struggled with um, becoming a writer, you know, because I sort of, I started out as an actor and, you know, an actor, you're, you're, the, the material is generated for you and stuff like that. And I was like, oh, yeah. well, I have like kind of an idea of what I want to say, but I was worried that, that, um, the more I did it, I was like going to have like a finite amount of ideas and that, uh, I was one day going to run out. But what I realized is, you know, Miss Angelo um, just said is that, no, actually, your brain starts forming connections or whatever between things. Yeah. So you walk around and you're living life and your brain is making it into stories. Yeah. And so in that way, you can't ever really ru- run out of ideas because you're experiencing things Every day, the cashier you interact with on the street, you know, the thing that you see, uh, like, on a walk, like, sometimes you just see a random diaper on the ground and you're just like, what happened there, you know? (laughs) So it's like, and then your brain starts making a story because you're practicing the art of writing in a, so, you know, you just begin to do that. And um, also it's reminding me, that I used to do this thing. I used to do this book, um, The Artist's Way by Julia Cameron. Oh, yeah. Um, and part of, you know, your creative, you know, it's for creative recovery. I'm not in recovery. I'm, <laughs> I make my living doing this. But, you know, it's sometimes <laughs> Go good off. to, like, use some of those those uh, tools uh, to help. And The Artist Date was something that I used to really enjoy doing. So What's once that? a week, you're supposed to to take yourself on an artist date, meaning doing something creative that doesn't have to do with your chosen form of art. So go to a museum, go to like 
I think like a sticker store so or whatever. Single, just like you're supposed to be single. Do, <laughs> you're supposed to, you're supposed I'm to be really single. good at it. <laughs> I'm like, no, oh, but I just can do going, that. <laughs> just going to consume other art, basically. Gotcha. Like gotcha. you know, I used to like when I was in New York. Not sadly. Yeah, yeah. It, like when I was in New York, obviously Broadway was there, and I've, I've been a big theater nerd since I was a kid. So I would, you know, even when I didn't have any money, I would just go and stand in the TKTS line or I'd do the lottery mm. for tickets, and I would just go and, you know, watch Broadway. You know, I, I was always targeting TV and film, but to watch a good play, to watch a good musical, yeah. to to go to Alvin Ailey, like um, you know, our said, guest just talked about. Yeah. Yes. Ugh. You I know, to to. Yeah, or just like go to go to the the symphony, you know, just do some, just consume art that's beyond TV and and film, which is my chosen art form. Uh, it it can just, you know, the more you experience creativity, the more you use your creativity, the more you have, as the quote says, um, and I I truly do believe that. I love that. I mean, I I mean, we're in agreement. Well, thanks for listening to The Antidote. We hope this injected a little bit of joy into your week. I know it did mine. How about you, Amy? I feel good, girl. We should do this again sometime. Oh, we'll be here next week. (laughs) And in the meantime, if you'd like to follow us on social, follow me, Grace, at Gracieat. That's G-R-A-C-Y-A-C-T. And follow me, Amy, at Amy Aniobi. That's A-M-Y-A-N-I-O-B-I. And follow the show at The Antidote Pod. That's the with two E's. If you like feeling good about yourself, please subscribe at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts and also rate us five stars. Goodbye. And don't forget to moisturize. The Antidote is hosted by us, Amy Aniobi and Grace Edwards. The show's production team includes senior producer Sierra Spragley-Ricks, associate producer Taylor Polidor, and Marcel Malakibu. Our executive producer is Erica Krauss and our editor is Erica Janet. Sound mixing by Derek Ramirez. Digital production by Mishu Sayuni. Talent booking by Marion Ways. Our theme music was composed and produced by TT the Artist and Cosmo the Truth. APM Studio Executives in charge are Chandra Kavati, Alex Shafford, and Joanne Griffith. Concept created by Amy Aniobi and Grace Edwards. Send us your antidotes at antidoteshow.org. And remember to follow us on social at The Antidote Pod. That's the with two E's, y'all. The Antidote is a production of American Public Media. Oh, oh, we back.